thank you, uh, Shelby. It's been kind of a hard work morning for you, hasn't it? Amen. And uh, appreciate Brother Mike and Shelby and, and their ministry here. Um, it is uh, ongoing all the time, and we're thankful uh, for all that they do. I want to invite you to join me this morning in a book of the Bible that is seldom preached from, especially on Sunday morning, yet it's a book that abounds with truth, doctrinal truth, practical truth, and certainly spiritual truth. So would you join me this morning in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5. The Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. <laughs> and if you've got a little ribbon thingy, I've been waiting to do that all week long. Now, if you weren't here for the Revival or the Amen Conference, you have no clue what we're laughing at. But I've been waiting to do that all week. If you have a little ribbon thingy bobber in your Bible, put it over in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And I might as well just go on. When, we, when, we, when I tell you to turn to Revelation, chapter 3, you know we're close to the end. And if you believe that, then you believe that I'm going to preach seven-minute segments on Easter. <laughs> you walk back up to the choir, and I said, nice try, grasshopper. <laughs> you, know, he, you know how many times he's reminded me since he dreamed up this wild idea that I've only got seven minutes in each segment? This is like reminder number 15 to this point. I got it. It doesn't mean anything, but I got it. Uh, really, Easter's going to be fantabulous. It really is. And I uh, hope that you will uh, invite your friends. Uh, to my knowledge, I've been in this church since 1976. I could be wrong. Some of the gray heads might correct me after church today, and that, that's fine. But to my knowledge, we've never had two Sunday morning services. So we have no clue what we're doing. <laughs> Just putting it out there where it is. Now, we've made a lot of phone calls, talked to a lot of folks who have. Um, obviously, it's going to mean each service is a little smaller. Um, but it's better than 715 people being packed in here like sardines. And so we'll give it a shot and see how it works. This love song or these love songs of Solomon are doctrinal as they relate to the church. They are practical as they relate to couples. And they are spiritual, if you will, as they relate to Christians. Our focus is going to be on 
the words of Solomon as they relate spiritually to you and I as believers. Now to give you an idea for those who may not be familiar with the book of Song of Solomon, give you an idea of what this book is about, I really think the simplest way to explain it would be to say that it chronicles the blossoming relationship between a young Shulamite girl and a young shepherd. And as you follow this story, it soon becomes evident that they are madly in love with each other. And you can tell how much they loved each other by simply reading how they refer to each other. They use phrases such as, my friend, thou whom my soul loveth, thou fairest among women, my love, my well-beloved. So this was no casual relationship. This was not mere infatuation. These two that we read of in this book were deeply in love, as much so as any two people possibly could be in love. But in spite of their immense love for each other, their relationship was not immune to difficulties. And can I just say this? No relationship is, by the way. There is no marriage relationship, especially, that is immune to difficulties. And we see something of these difficulties uh, in our text beginning in verse 2. It seems that for some reason the Shulamite and the shepherd had allowed something to drive a wedge between them to the point that they were uh, now estranged from each other. It seems as though the two had grown apart. But in verse 2, the shepherd comes calling. The Shulamite, she's half awake and she's half asleep when she hears the voice of her beloved. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, I sleep, she said, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that knocketh, saying, open to me. Obviously, that's an important phrase. Open to me, my sister. It's not, he's not speaking to her in terms of her being a sibling. That is a, a term of endearment. It is a term of closeness. My sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. For my head is filled with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. Notice here the tenderness in the call of her lover. My sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. There is no harsh judging. There is no condemnation. Just tenderness. Notice also the persistence in his call. We are 
made to believe that he had been there calling and knocking for some time as his hair has now become filled with dew. But look at her response in verse 3. She says, I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? So we've got this estranged couple and we've We've got the male part of this relationship and he's coming back and he's calling and he's asking his, his loved one, his, his uh, uh, beloved one to open the door and she responds by making excuses. Not very good ones, but excuses nonetheless for why she couldn't open the door. But I like this, her beloved was not to be deterred. He was not to be put off. He continues to demonstrate his desire to be with the one he loves as he tries in verse 4 to find a way into her presence. Look at verse 4. My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the door and my bowels, speaking of her, her emotions, her feelings, were moved for him. This last valiant effort of the shepherd seems to have moved her now emotionally to a point where she's willing to respond to his call. As we read in verse 5, follow with me, I rose up. To open to my beloved. Verse 6, I opened to my beloved. But how sad the words. But my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. By the time she was moved to action, it was too late. He was gone. And here's why. Again, in verse 6, it says, Because my soul failed, that is, failed to respond when he spake. And though she sought him, she could not find him. And though she called for him, he would not answer. And so in verse 7, she begins to wander around the city, trying to find him, wanting to reconnect with him, wanting to respond to his calling and to his, his wooing. But I want you to notice in verse 7, the, the result, it says, the watchman that went about the city found me. They smote me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took away my veil from me. Here's the point. Without the presence and protection of her beloved, she was left exposed to all sorts of attack and abuse. So out of desperation and no doubt in great agony of soul, 
the Shulamite turned to others for help in finding her shepherd lover. In verse 8, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if ye find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. We'll not read verses 9 through 16, but in those verses she, she begins thinking about and describing the lover of her soul. And she begins, listen, she begins to consider what she had now that he's gone. And so with that picture in mind, let me try and make some spiritual application of this story as it relates to us as New Testament Christians. You see, it's a sad thing, but we, what we read in this story is played out in real life over and over and over again. I think every saved person here this morning has at some point in their relationship with Christ played the role of the Shulamite. Some, no doubt, to a greater or lesser degree than others. Let me, let me break this down like this. Six points, very simple points this morning. The first one is this, the passion. Again, we'll not turn there, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus is described, he is called the shepherd of our souls. And like the, the Shulamite and the shepherd, our relationship with him was a passionate one at the very beginning. Do you remember that? You remember the moment that you got saved, the day that you got saved, the morning that you got saved, the night that you got saved, whatever, whatever it was. Now, listen, I'm talking about that moment in time in your early Christian life when you were all in. Amen. You were all in. You couldn't talk to Jesus enough. You couldn't talk about Jesus enough. I mean, there was a fire and there was a passion burning in your soul that the water of a thousand oceans could not quench. You couldn't get enough of the Bible. You couldn't get enough of church. I'm talking Sunday morning, Bible study time, worship service, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I mean, you would call and text and ask, hey, is there anything going on today? Is there anything going on tonight? When's the next thing? When's the next event? When's the next time we can come to church? I mean, you just could not get enough of Jesus. You couldn't get enough of the Word. You couldn't get enough of, of service. You couldn't get enough of ministry. You were just eaten up with this passion for the things of God. But your passion and love for Jesus notwithstanding, you may also remember a time when for one reason or another, things began to change. that passion began to diminish. Are you with me? That fire began to die down. 
and you found yourself with a problem. And here's the problem. You weren't completely asleep spiritually, but you weren't totally awake either. You were in some kind of spiritual la-la land. It was like the lights were on, but nobody was at home. When you came to church, it was like that first half hour, 45 minutes or whatever, right after you wake up, like some of you probably woke up this morning having lost an hour of sleep. Let me rephrase that, like some of us probably woke up this morning having lost an hour of sleep and we just didn't quite have it all together. Are you with me today? We're talking about a time when when you're, you weren't on, as, on fire as you were, you weren't as passionate as you were, you weren't as zealous as you were, uh, you, you, just, you just came to church, you're like, oh, I'm okay, I know I'm supposed to be here, so I'm here, I know we're supposed to stand, so I stand, and I know we're supposed to sing, and so I'll move my lips, and, 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 and we're, we just kind of go through the motions. I guess for some of you, it would be kind of like before you have that first cup of coffee, or I guess for some of you, that first gallon of coffee in the morning. You know, you just shave and you brush your teeth and you do whatever you do. And you do it without any feeling. You do it without any emotion. You're just, you're just going through the routine. Or we might put it this way. You weren't totally on fire for God. But you weren't necessarily cold toward Him either. You were, as Jesus described the church at Laodicea, you were lukewarm. Not hot, not cold, lukewarm. Now let me tell you something about lukewarm Christians. They don't get there instantly. The process of becoming lukewarm is just that. It's a process. You can take home and, and, and pour a cup of, of cold milk, a glass of cold milk, and just sit it on the counter and go about your day and go about your afternoon and take your nap or do what it is, whatever it is you're going to do. And eventually you're going to come back to a glass of milk that is no longer cold. It's, it, it's, it's lukewarm. Is there, anything, is there anything more nasty than lukewarm milk? In my opinion, is there anything more nasty than milk, period? Cold, hot, it doesn't matter. I don't like milk. But here's the point this morning. It's easy for Christians to get to that point. But you don't get there overnight. It's a process. So, Pastor, how does that happen? Well, honestly, it, it may happen differently for different people. For example, sometimes people fall prey to the trickery of the devil and they get involved in what seems like at that point in time a very little sin, a very minor thing. And it's just a little thing, it's just a minor thing. But pretty soon it becomes a, a big thing, it becomes a big sin, and, and before you know it, they're gone. 
They're nowhere to be seen. You can't find them. And, and, and sometimes you try to reach out to them, but they just are not willing to connect. Sometimes people let themselves get preoccupied with various hobbies and activities, none of them bad in and of themselves. Brother McCracken preached on that this week. He preached on the weights. Remember Hebrews chapter 12? Lay aside every weight. Talking about those things in our lives that tend to weigh us down. They're not sinful. They're, uh, they're not against the principles of the Word of God. Uh, but they become they become weights because they bog us down and, and they keep us out of the house of God and they keep us away from the preaching of the word of God and they keep us away from the fellowship of God's people. And before long, we find ourselves lukewarm. You know, the age-old preacher illustration is, is that of a, a, a charcoal grill. Ask your parents. The charcoal grill. It's where you pile up these little black bricks and you pour this stuff on them and you throw a match in there and you go. And before long, the flame's gone. But those coals, as you look at them, they're glowing red hot. And if you still have a charcoal grill, you can go home and confirm this illustration. I promise you it's true. That if you reach in there with a pair of tongs and you take one of those coals out of that pile of red hot coals and you sit it over here on the side, it won't be very long until it's not hot anymore. I mean, it's not really even warm anymore. And listen to me, church, that's exactly what happens when a believer does not assemble with God's people. Following a Facebook uh, thread, an argument really about the necessity of being in church and, and well, I can, I can serve God away from church and blah, 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 the same old nonsense. But what they don't understand is you cannot be passionate and zealous and on fire for God without fellowshipping with God's people. We need one another. And some of you, for whatever reason, who, who have been taken away from church, maybe it's job, or maybe it's sickness, or maybe it's caring for somebody that's ailing, and, and, and it's something you've got to do, and, 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 and I get that, I understand that, it's not a choice that you've made on your own. And even you would admit, Pastor, you are exactly right, because I haven't been able to go to church for like three weeks, and I can tell there's a difference in me, I need to get back into church and that happens so often when people aren't able or people choose not to be in church like they should be and they they just cool off here's another thing that happens sometimes people begin to neglect their quiet time they get so busy that they don't take time to read their Bible. They don't take time to pray like they should. 
And the next thing they know, they haven't been in church on a Sunday night. They haven't been in church on a Wednesday night in ages. I've seen people get their feelings hurt for this reason or that reason. And rather than addressing the offense from a biblical perspective, they just let it fester and swell up in them until they get to a point where they say this, well, I just can't go to church anymore. Listen, don't put that off on the person who offended you. God gave us the prescription and the principles for dealing with offenses among brothers and sisters. And if you don't apply the biblical principles, then don't you dare whine and pout and cry about all those hypocrites at church. Sometimes people who go through difficulties none that they brought upon themselves and God's sovereignty allows them to walk through a difficult time and he brings trials into their life and and sometimes rather than those those trials drawing them closer to the Lord and closer to God's people they let those things drive them away from God and drive them away from God's people and I'm just going to tell you this morning that's not the right direction that's not the right choice. That choice will hurt you. It will harm you. It will haunt you. Listen, when trouble comes into our life, we need to draw closer to the Lord. We need God's people at that moment in time like we've never needed them before. And I'm just telling you, from 36 years of ministry, I could go on and on with illustrations and stories and examples of, of, of how people find themselves estranged from the lover of their souls. But just understand this, they didn't get there overnight. And regardless of what it was that took them there, I think it all boils down to neglect. You see, our Christianity is much like our marriages. If we quit working at our marriages, then our marriages are going to quit working for us. And I understand, I don't have time to go into all this, but I understand, Pastor, I am working, I'm working hard and I understand two people have to be working at the same time. I get that. But in general, if a husband and wife, neither one are working for their marriage, their marriage is not going to work for them. And I'm just telling you, if we quit working at our Christianity, it's going to quit working for us. And when I say it's going to quit working for us, please understand me this morning. I don't mean that we're going to lose it. In my little pea brain, the word everlasting means lasting forever. The word eternal means eternal. God gives us eternal life. He gives us everlasting life. I'm not talking about that you're going to lose your salvation. What I mean is this, it's just not going to be special to you anymore. Again, I'll use a marriage illustration. It's, it's not like it was when you first got married. I see Jake and Michaela back there, probably the newest married couple here today. And I'll, I'll guarantee you that their hearts are still on fire. And they're still excited. 
And I hope it's that way 50 years from now. But it won't be if you don't work at it. And Christian, listen. How can we expect to have this passionate love affair with the lover of our souls, the one who died to save us and who did save us? How, do we, how can we expect to maintain that passion and that fire if we don't work at this thing? It's just not going to happen. Now, if you're here this morning and you've ever experienced, and I have, listen, we got a, some, a lot of, of ministry people here, full-time ministry people in here this morning, and listen, they'll tell you what I'm about to tell you and it's true in ministry and it's true in Bible college that one of the easiest places to fall into the trap that I'm talking to you about right now is in Bible college and in ministry. Because we just get so accustomed to stuff. And there have been times, and I hate to admit this this morning, but there have been times in your pastor's life where I have fit right into this category. And yet I stand and preach three times a week and teach a Bible study class. But yet I know in my heart that this, this fire, this flame, this passion, this zeal is not there. And I'm just going through the motions. And if you've been there or if you are there right now, then you know this to be true. It's not long and we hear this knock at the door of our heart. And we hear the still, small voice in our soul. And it's saying this, open to me. Open to me. You know what that is? That's the Lord pleading. Listen, the Lord loves us. Like the shepherd loved the Shulamite. And he wants to be a part of our lives. He's passionate about us spending time together. The Lord gets jealous. He does. It's in the book. He gets jealous when we allow other loves into our lives. And he's grieved when we would rather spend time with another love instead of with him. But as disappointed as he may be, he just keeps knocking. He keeps calling. He keeps pleading. All through the day. And well into the night. And even into the next day, if he has to, knocking, 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 calling, 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 open to me. Please let me in. Open to me. Sometimes, when pleading hasn't worked, he must resort to more drastic measures. Are you listening? More drastic measures in order to get our attention 
as we see the shepherd doing in verse 4 of our text. Let it be known this morning that the great shepherd of our souls will do whatever he has to do to get our attention. But even then, if we're not willing to open our hearts to him and give him the place of preeminence that he desires and deserves as our first love, he will simply withdraw himself. And he'll let us go about our lives as we so choose. Notice verse 6 again of our text. My soul failed when he spake. Church, listen to me this morning, please. It's no small thing to ignore the voice of the Lord. To let your soul fail when he speaks. How often are God's people like the Shulamite woman when God calls and, and we start offering these lame excuses for why they cannot, no scratch that, why they will not come. The truth is they're comfortable, come on, they're comfortable and they like the way their lives are and they don't want to be disturbed and they don't want to be inconvenienced. And they just, they just want to recline in their spiritual easy chairs and do nothing of value for the Lord. And they want to enjoy themselves doing it. And that's fine. That's fine. They have that right. They have that prerogative. God will let you set your own agenda. But do not be surprised if when you finally get stirred up enough to want to make a change, that you get up and find that he's withdrawn himself. Don't be surprised when you call and it's like, well, I don't even know if he's listening. Reality check, he's not. Why? Because you didn't care. He's, 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 he's letting you now live however you want to live, do whatever you want to do. And let me just plug this in. Like the Shulamite, when you get out there and you start wandering around in your own little man-made life and agenda out of, from under the presence and the protection of the Lord, then you're just making yourself vulnerable to all kinds of satanic attack and worldly abuse. Understand this, we will fellowship with the Lord on His terms or we won't do it at all. This thing of, well, I'll do what I want, and, and, and when I get through, I'll look Jesus up. Listen to me, that's, that doesn't cut it. No, 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 listen, it's his way or no way. I don't think that we understand sometimes how much pain is really involved 
in not being able to sense the presence of the Lord. If you've ever been there, then you know it's miserable. I mean, read how David felt in Psalm 32 when God was pursuing him and the Spirit of God was convicting him and he was not responding. God was knocking, but he wasn't answering the door. And God was calling, but he wasn't answering. Read Psalm 32, the first four or five verses, and and you'll understand exactly how miserable it can be when you kneel to pray and it's like there's nobody there. And you sit down and read this book, and it's, it's dead. And you come to church, and everybody else getting excited. And there, I mean, you can tell that, that there's something going on with them, and you're just kind of like, well, okay, whatever. And if you're a, a Christian this morning of some years, you know what I'm talking about. And it's because... We've lost our passion for the Lord. The Shulamite said, I am sick of love. And sometimes it takes these kinds of painful experiences to get our focus back on the things of the Lord and to truly appreciate what we have in Him. And hopefully that painful experience will help us and motivate us and and move us to begin pursuing him again. I think it's interesting that during her pursuit of the love of her life, the Shulamite was asked in chapter 6 and verse 1 where he could be found. And without hesitation, she explains in verse 2 of chapter 6 just exactly where he could be found. Look at it. My beloved has gone down into his garden to the beds of spices to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. She knew where he was. She knew where she could find him. Listen to me this morning. She knew that she could find him right where she left him. Preacher, where do you see that? Go back to chapter 5 and verse 1. I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. According to what we read in in these verses, the last time they were together was in the garden. And somewhere between verse 1 and verse 2 is where the separation happened. Listen to me this morning. You know where you're going to find Jesus? Right where you left him. You know why? Because he's not the one who moved. Hello? He's not the one who moved. He's not the one who left. You're the one who's moved. You're the one who's left. You're the one who made the decision to pursue other loves and other passions and other things. And you're over here and and you're lukewarm and you're cold toward the things of God. And church is just a habit to you. And, and, And your Bible reading isn't there. Your prayer isn't there. There's nothing passionate about God in your life. And somehow the Spirit of God speaks to your heart through a revival this week through the men's conference this week, maybe through the message this morning, and the Spirit of 
God speaks to your heart and, and, and that, that desire to be back where you used to be is there. And you say, well, where do I go? Go back where you left him. Because he, he hasn't moved. It's you who have moved. Look at verse 4 of chapter 6. They've made up. Thou art my beautiful, thou art beautiful, O my love, as Terza comes Jerusalem, terrible as an angry army with banners. Listen, church, that ought to encourage us today. That ought to excite us to know that this relationship, our fellowship with God can be restored. If we're willing to humble ourselves and admit, God, I'm, I was wrong, I was sinful, I, I, I got offended and I left, or I, I got uh, 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 busy and involved with other things that took me out of church and away from God's people, and uh, God, I, I'm sorry for that, or, or God, I'm sorry I got angry with you and I got bitter toward you because of this difficult time in my life and I'll admit it wasn't you who left me it was me who left you but God I'm coming back this morning God I want to renew that that fellowship with you I want to renew I want a restored passion for you in my heart and God it's me it's not you I want to repeat what I said earlier None, listen, none of this has to do with your salvation. It's not that you've lost your salvation. It's that you've lost the joy of your salvation. You remember when, when whether it's CrossFit or whether it's cycling or whether it's racquetball or whether it's walking on a treadmill or whether it's running. You remember when you first started doing that? I mean, I, I'm the kind of guy that when, when I get involved in something like that, it, it, it just takes like one time and I'm all in. I mean, I, that's, I am just absolutely all in. But there are times when the newness wears off, you don't jump on that bicycle and ride 50 miles necessarily because you want to. It's, you just do it. There's no passion there. Running's the same way. Maybe CrossFit the same way. Rack up all the same way. Well, listen, our service to the Lord can be the same way. When you first got in, you were all in. Now, if you're honest this morning, you couldn't say, well, I'm all in. I'm kind of in. Revelation chapter 3. You with me? Revelation chapter 3. I guess that is the last book of the Bible, isn't it? Verse 20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door 
and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now look at me. Often those, that verse is used as a salvation verse when really it has nothing to do with salvation. You can use it like that if you want, I guess. But if you'll read that verse in context, it's talking about Jesus has been shoved out of the life of a local church. They had become self-sufficient. They had become okay on their own. And, and in essence, they had shoved him out of their midst. And now he's standing and knocking at the door of this self-sufficient, arrogant church saying, would you let me back in? Wow. How could Jesus be shoved out of a church? Because he was, had been shoved out of the lives of people. We're the church. This is not the church. This is a building. We are the church. You know, if enough of us got away from the Lord, it could very well happen to Fellowship Baptist Church. What a sad, what a sad scene. Jesus standing outside of one of his churches, knocking, trying to get back in. Is that the picture of your life this morning? For whatever reason, Jesus is estranged. You and the Lord are estranged. You're not as close as you were. You're not in fellowship like you were. And, and, and there are all kinds of, of reasons that we would throw out. But let's be honest this morning. It's on us. It's not on him. And we're going to find him right where we left him. Every head bowed.